Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. As Kenny said, we had uh, uh, some folks join the church this morning. If you joined the church this morning, you've joined the church recently. Stand up. Just stand up. We want to we gawk at you for a moment. Look at this. Look at this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you happen to be a guest with us here this morning, just give it time and we'll gawk at you too. How about that? All right. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. If you want to flip over there, if you've got a Bible um, and you want to follow along, if you don't have a Bible or if you prefer, the scriptures are going to be up here on the screen. Now, there is a cousin to the weasel, and uh, his name is Kenan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's, you just happen to be right there. I'm sorry. There, there is a cousin to the weasel uh, called an ermine, and they are very, very populous in northern uh, Europe and over into uh, the western part of, of northern Asia. And this, this animal, during the wintertime, its coat just turns a beautiful, bright white. And one thing that the ermine instinctually does is keep that coat absolutely clean. I mean, it is, it is just obsessive about the purity of its coat, so much so that it is constantly cleaning itself, and it won't do anything that it thinks is going to cause that coat to get dirty. Now, during the, the days when you know the royalty all wore the great big robes and everything, an ermine pelt on your garment was a sign of rank. So all of the, the, the people that, that thought they deserved it need to ha have that ermine pelt on, on their robes. So the royal uh, vermin catchers, whatever you want to call them, they would go out to catch these ermine. But they didn't have to set traps for them. What they actually did is they would find a den and they would take some grease and some grime and they would wipe it all around the entrance to that den, just inside the den. And then they would let the dogs loose. And the dogs would start to chase the ermine. And as the ermine is running towards home, when it got close to its den and it saw all that dirt and that grime, it would just stop. Because it would refuse to go through or into anything that was going to cause its, its coat to be impure. So the ermine was easily caught by these, these royal hunters. Because the instinct of the ermine was to protect purity, the purity of its coat, even over protecting its life. Now, we're in a lesson series about the seven churches of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Thyatira. Thyatira. Everybody say that. Thyatira. And the, the, the title of my message is uh, Purity Matters. Thyatira got the longest letter from Jesus of all seven churches. Got the longest letter, but Thyatira was the smallest and the least significant of all of the cities. 
It was not uh, known for its great temples. It wasn't known for its great commerce. In fact, it was really just a military city that was set up to protect some of the other cities. Although there were uh, uh, wool and dye, people that dyed the wool, there, there was that type of commerce. But one thing about Thyatira was that it was one of the first places that had trade unions. And that'll be really important to our discussion here in just a little bit. So in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18, it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And like I've pointed out over the last few weeks, the way that Jesus introduces himself each time he talks to one of these churches, because he introduces himself differently to each one of them. But the way that he is introducing himself is exactly what they need. What he is saying is, I am everything that you need. So let's look at this for just a second. He First, he said that he was the son of, of God. In Jewish thinking, a son had the nature and the authority of the father. So what Jesus was really doing was declaring his own deity and his own authority and his own power because he was the son of God. He said that he had eyes like a flame. Have you ever heard the, the expression just burning a hole through you? Yeah, have don't act like I'm the only one that has ever heard that. Just burning a hole through you. What Jesus was really saying was, I can see through all the mess, I see through all the junk, and I see what's truly going on in the situation. And then it said he had feet of burnished bronze. Burnished just means polished, but bronze was the strongest metal known to man at the time, so he's speaking of his strength. And that's exactly what the church at Thyatira needed. They needed God's authority and strength to destroy lies. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So just like the other churches, he starts out with, with the recognition. He speaks about what they're doing well before he gets to the point of what a bunch of screw-ups you are. Okay, so that's uh, the first time we talked about it since he happens to be here this morning, I call that the Sam sandwich. Sam is so good about calling you in and telling you how wonderful you are, then sliding in what a big dope you are. And he's had to do it with me for so many years, but he's really, really good at it. And here's the recognition that Jesus was making to the church at Thyatira in verse 19. It says, I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. There were four essential things that the church at Thyatira did very well, and Jesus complimented them on it. He said they had love, love both for the Lord and for one another. Jesus commends their faith. So if Jesus is commending your faith, it must be a strong faith, right? And then he said they know how to serve. The word serve here, the Greek word is diakonia. It's where we get the word deacon from. It means to help, to aid, to minister. And then he also said they had patience. The word patience here means to remain under. 
One of the uh, Greek lexicons I was looking in this week said this word patience means it's the characteristic of a person who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith even in the greatest trials and sufferings. Are we patient even in trials and sufferings? It's easy. It's easy to say, yes, uh, I've got faith. Yes, I've got love. Oh, yeah, I serve as long as everything's going great, right? But sometimes those, those tests, those trials, they, they start coming. And Jesus said they were unswerved. But what, what do we do? Test trials, woohoo, let's move. I want to get out of the way of this. But sometimes the only time, the only way you're going to get to true patience is going through something. James chapter 1 says that when you're going through these tests, these trials, let it build patience, let it build endurance in you. And if you do that, he said, in You'll come to a place where you're perfect and in need of nothing. In this situation, I'm going to go through this so it can build patience. It's not that God wants you to suffer or anything like that, but he knows that you're going to go through stuff, so we might as well go through it and learn something, right? If you're going to go through it, let's get the benefit of it. So these four things, they did really, really well. And they were even getting better at them. Your latter works exceed your first. The New Living Translation says, I see your constant improvement in all these things. Now, I want the Lord to say that type of stuff about us. I want us to be able to commend us on the things that we are doing well and the things that we are doing right. Now, over the last few weeks and get coming into what, the parties with a purpose that we did a few weeks ago, I was really talking to the Lord, really praying and asking the Lord, who are we? What do we do? Lord, when, when you think about New Covenant Church, what do you say? What do you think? And the Lord said to me that New Covenant Church is a place where a hurting can find health and the healthy can find purpose. And that's who he wants us to be. Where the hurting can find health. Because there's a lot of places that hurting people are not welcome. you got to have everything together. Or if you are hurting, don't talk about it. But at New Covenant Church, we want you to find health. So if you're going to find health, we have to know that you're hurting, right? So we're totally okay with you bleeding, coming through the doors. And as you find health, then you find purpose. That's who we are. So Jesus spoke well of the church of Thyatira, then comes the rebuke. Remember, Jesus never rebukes his church or his people in order to destroy them, but to redeem them. Did you hear that? So if you start to see inconsistencies in your own life and it starts to bring shame, guess what? It's not the Lord pointing it out because the Lord does not bring shame. 
When the Lord begins to minister into our lives and begins to show us our inconsistencies, he's doing it in such a way that he can redeem us out of it, that he can bring us out of it, that he can bring restitution into our life. So Jesus brings a rebuke here in verse 20. Says, but I have this against you. At least he's enjoying it. (laughs) But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now that sounds wrong, doesn't it? That just sounds wrong. There's probably nobody sitting in here going, so they're teaching sexual immorality in the church. That just sounds wrong, doesn't it? But you need to understand that in the Roman days, in Roman culture, that happened every day. This was Roman culture. Nobody blinked an eye at any of these type of things. In fact, until the Christian church came along and started going, eh, that's not right. There was nobody that thought anything about it. This was just the way that things were done. It's very, it's, it's very close to the same issue that we looked at last week with Pergamum. Except in Pergamum, it says that there were some that followed the doctrine of. But here in Thyatira, they were actively teaching that it was okay for Christians to go to these temples sacrifice to foreign gods and engage with the temple prostitutes. Why would anybody do that? Remember those trade unions that I told you would would, would come back? Each trade union had its own deity. And these trade unions would have their meetings, if you want to call it, in these temples. So if you were going to be a part of this trade union, if you were going to get the benefit of being a part of this union, you had to go to the temple. And you were expected to engage. And they would go in and they would sacrifice to these false gods. And then at the end of the night, the temple prostitutes would come out. So what's actually happening here is someone is teaching what may have seemed like a very practical message at the time. Hey, it's okay. This is just what you've got to do to keep your job. It's okay. Just do what you've got to do to keep your job. But it was compromise. See, we look at this and we go, that's wrong. But how many things do we do to keep a job, to keep a friend, to keep a relationship? How many places do, do, do we compromise? It was doubtful that her name was Jezebel, but uh, Jesus was likely speaking to her heart and actions. If you remember, Jezebel was a, uh, a queen of Israel. She is one of the most dastardly women in the Old Testament. And what she did was try to mix the worship of God with the worship of Baal. Do we mix? 
oh, I'm worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning, but what am I doing the rest of the week? Are there places of compromise in my heart and in my life that are keeping me from fully engaging with God? Well, I would never be hanging out with temple prostitutes. Of course not. But are there other things that we do just to be a part of the crowd? Are there other things that we do? Now listen. Jesus commended them on their love, right? And this is the love being twisted. Have you ever heard somebody say, God understands? It's okay, God understands. Yeah, God understands that we make mistakes at times. But God does not understand when we choose to be disobedient and live in a place of sin. That he does not understand. It's the polar opposite of what we saw in Ephesus, the very first church that we looked at, where Jesus said, hey, you got your doctrine and your teaching right, but you don't know how to love. But here he's saying, you know how to love, but you got your doctrine and teaching wrong. And the truth is, we need both. We need both. And doctrine, church teaching, had already been set on this situation. In fact, in Acts chapter 15... The church leader said in verse 20 that you should abstain from eating food offered to idols and from sexual immorality. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? So if the church doctrine is abstain, don't do, but someone in leadership is standing up and going, hey, it's okay to do, what's wrong? We're missing something, right? Oh, it would be unloving to tell somebody that they couldn't have a good job. God wouldn't want us to be without a good job. Well, if the job causes us to compromise the very basic tenets of the faith, God's not happy with your job anyway. Since when are we our own providers anyway? If you stood up and said, I can't do this because of my beliefs, don't you think God's going to take care of us? We nod our head, go, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But yet we still continue to compromise in relationships, in all kinds of things. You have been so mean. Since you started these seven churches, I'm giving you the Bible, okay? (laughs) All right. Remember that we're talking about purity. And not just sexual purity, but doctrinal purity. Pure teaching of the Word of God. In 1 Peter 2.2, it says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Where does the pure spiritual milk come from? There's this this book. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's called the Bible. 
This is where our pure spiritual milk comes from. Also in 1 Peter, just a few verses up from where we read, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So what does obedience to the truth do? Purify our soul, right. That by it you, uh, excuse me, uh, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Obedience to the truth of God's word creates a pure heart that gives us sincere love for one another. Are we struggling to love? Maybe we're struggling with the word. You can't separate God's love from God's word. And you can't show God's love apart from God's word. People say, oh, well, it... it it would be unloving. How many times have I heard that? It would be unloving. It would be unloving. It would be unloving. Well, you know what? It is unloving to let somebody continue in something that is absolutely against what God's word says. Loving them is not, not saying anything. And I'm not saying being critical and judgmental. That's not where I'm trying to come from. I'm just saying there is a foundation that we have to stand on, that we have to live on. And even if society is saying this book is worthless now and none of it in here applies to me, we stand on it because that's who we are. Lack of purity in Thyatira... Lack of doctrinal purity, lack of pure teaching was the root of what was going on. Lack of sexual purity was just the result. Anytime we get away from, from the, the true teachings of the Word of God, you're going to get something that's off. It may look loving, but is it loving the way God is loving? Well, it would be unloving to tell your kid not to stick his tongue in the, the electrical socket because he really, really wants to. And I can tell you from experience, it really hurts. It's loving to go, that would be stupid. Stop acting like that. That's love keeping us from harming ourselves, right? Love is not letting us do and get away with anything that we want to do and get away with. In Thyatira, because they didn't love God's teachings, they couldn't love God's boundaries. We struggle with boundaries at times, don't we? But I tell people, it's, it's, it's like bowling. Anybody like bowling? Me either. You throw this ball down this lane at these, right? I call it reverse racism. You take a black ball and you throw it at white things with a red neck. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> So you roll this ball down there, and you're meant to hit these things. But most of the time, my ball goes, right? What do they call these? The gutter, right? <laughs> the gutter. 
How often do we spend our time in the gutter? But God comes along and he puts the bumpers up because he wants you to hit that, right? And the bumpers what? Keep us out of the gutter, right? That's what God's boundaries are. It's not to keep us from anything. It's to keep us out of the gutter. It's to make sure that we get where we're supposed to go, where we hit the mark. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy for Jezebel was not pretty. Verse 21, it says, I gave her time to repent. This is Jesus speaking, remember. I gave her time to repent. I stopped there because I just want to focus on God always. Jesus is always about redemption. I gave her time to repent. We don't mess up and God smack us over the head. It's always about redemption. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. Man, she's a horrible person. How many attitudes do we have in our lives that every time you, every time you get mad, every time you do something, every time you say something, you go, ah, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. He gives us time to repent. One of these times you're going to open your mouth and your wife's just going to sock you. That's called judgment. <laughs> I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. That sounds rough, doesn't it? And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Now, let me just say that this sickbed here, God is not saying, I'm going to give you sickness. A sickbed, every house had one. It was a couch. It was a couch. Sick people went and laid on the couch. Okay, but what he's saying is because she's refusing to repent, I'm going to put her on this, this, this sick bed, this isolation bed, this, this place away from others. And anybody else who, who refuses to repent, anybody, any of these others will get thrown into great tribulation. Any of these who commit adultery with her. Understand, adultery here speaks of both sexual and spiritual adultery. We may not be committing sexual adultery, but are we committing spiritual adultery? Every time that they went into one of these temples, they were committing spiritual adultery. Because they were being unfaithful to the Lord. Every time we take, every time we make a choice that is contrary to God's word, we're committing spiritual adultery as Christians. You hearing me? God understands. <laughs> You'll hear it again. God understands. No, we need to understand. We need to understand. He'll give us time to repent. But if we refuse to repent, there's going to be consequences. And even this sickbed, the reference to the sickbed, I, I think it's fitting. I think Jesus was saying, hey, if you love an impure bed, here, I'll give you one. 
unless, here's the end of the scripture, unless they repent. Unless they repent of her works. Jesus is still, still trying to give the opportunity to avoid judgment and pain by repenting and moving away from sin. So the remedy here is just like it's been in the other churches. Repent. Think differently. Allow the Lord to change the way that you think in such a way to such a degree that you go the opposite direction. You begin to do other things. So do we want to stay pure? It's easy to look at Thyatira and go, man, what a bunch of screwed up people. Where are we missing God? Sitting in the next class, you know, I was talking to those guys and it's like, it's not so much the outward things that I do anymore. You know, when I got saved, there were still some outward things that needed to be dealt with. But now it's inward things. It's attitudes. It's thoughts. It's judgment. It's, it, it's critical. Those type of places. So do we want to stay pure? Psalms 119.9 tells us how to do it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Guarding it according to your word. Why is it so important to know the word? Why is it so important to engage with the word? It keeps us pure. It keeps our way pure. Knowing his heart. It's important. The Lord's really been talking to me about, uh, about this, about the last six months. If I would begin to look at my life as worship. Worship's not just when music is playing, but my life is worship. The decisions that I make, worship him or worship me. You got that? Worship him or worship me? This is worship me. Okay? But worship him. And he's really, he has reiterated this over and over and over again to me. John 4, 23. It's a very, very familiar passage of scripture. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's actively seeking people who will worship in spirit and in truth. If my life is going to be a life of worship, it's got to be in spirit and in truth. So what does that look like? It's easy to read a scripture and say, you should do this. What does it really, really look like for the, for the heart of the believer? Our life of worship should seek the Holy Spirit. And that we should seek to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. But just an experience with the Holy Spirit is not all there is to it. 
an experience, a true experience with the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to a place of connecting with truth. See, Jesus, when he was telling his disciples, hey, I'm going away. It's better for you that I go away because if I go away, then I'm going to send somebody. And Jesus called him several different things in, in, in this little speech that he gives him. But one thing he said is, when the spirit of truth comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into truth. He will lead you into truth. And in, in that same passage, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So what I see in the body of Christ so often and what I see in, in Christians so often is you got those that are really seeking the Spirit and you got those that are really seeking the truth. And they don't always mix together. In fact, they'll start throwing stones at each other. They'll start accusing each other. If your heart is one of those that, that truly seeks after the Holy Spirit, seeks an experience with the Holy Spirit... One of the traps of the enemy is to look over at these people and go, you're just not as free as I am. If you only had the revelation that I had, then you would know. But if we're having a true experience with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, it is going to lead us to His truth. His Word is truth, right? But then there's people over here. And they're really about the truth. They're really about the Word. There's some people that, that, that take the, the, the Bible and they turn it into an idol. And it becomes legalism. Man, they, they can break it down. They can parse it out for you. They can tell you what every A and the is in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, Aramaic and all this type of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But we don't worship this. We worship Him. This is the most powerful book ever compiled. Hebrews says that it's alive. It's active. It's alive. And it will even separate our soul and our spirit. And we need that at times. Because sometimes we think we're being led by God when we're really being just led by our mind and our emotions. We need it. We need to recognize that this is God's love letter to us. It is written to tell us everything that God has gone through to bring love to us. It's a treasure map to the depths of who he is. It's fantastic. But as we engage with the word, it's got to lead us to an experience with the Holy Spirit. We need both. Throw that slide up there. This is who we are. This is what we should be doing. Your little face should be right in the middle there. Whichever side you lean to is okay. But don't neglect the other side. If you chase after the things of the Spirit, chase hard. But understand that without the grounding of the Word, you're just going to get weird and flaky. You can take it down now. You're just going to get weird and flaky. 
And if you're one that just, just loves the Word of God and you study it, but you don't allow the Holy Spirit to turn it into an experience, you're just going to be a legalistic, mean, ugly. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around you. But together, together, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. Not just half, but all of it. So let me ask you a question. How is your love, your faith, and your service, and your patience? If we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, it's going to be alive. Are there any places in your life where you're overlooking the solid truth of the word for convenience sake? Because I promise you, the more that you press into God, the more you will find things that are inconvenient. It's inconvenient to do the things that God commands that we do. And are you finding yourself out of balance in worship? Do you chase one and miss the other? Are you all about the Spirit and you're forgetting about the Word? Are you all about the Word and you're forgetting about the Spirit? Both of them will get you out of balance. But we want to be in balance. We, and as Jesus said, the Father's searching for those who will worship Him like this. This is who we're meant to be. Spirit and truth. Solid truth, solid teaching, solid doctrine. It's good for us. But it's not just about what you know. Because if it's just information, this is just a lecture. It's got to be about transformation. The Lord takes this and turns it into transformation in our life. Whether we're hearing it, somebody's speaking it, whether we're studying it ourselves, it's got to lead us to transformation. It's got to lead us to, a, to an experience with the Holy Spirit. Just quoting Bible verses does not change our life. Satan can quote Bible verses. But it's the heart behind it, the spirit behind it. Then it's alive in us. Amen? Would you stand up with me? Let's just take a, a moment, just... You know, close your eyes, bow your head. How, however you can just kind of block out what's around you at the moment. Just, this is just between you and the Lord. It's not about what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is saying. It's really about what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So I'm going to ask these, these, these three questions again. 
How's your love? I'm not asking about your love life. I'm asking about your love, your true agape love, the the love of God coming out of you, the love that can only come from God. How's your love? How's your love level? How's your faith? How's your service? Are you serving people around you so they can know God? And is your patience unswerved by whatever test and trial is being thrown at you. And if you're saying, you know what? I think I'm lacking in those areas. Once again, our eyes are closed. I just want you to raise your hand to God. Not to me, just to God. Just keep it up there for a second till we ask the other questions. Are you overlooking solid truth of the word for convenience? Are there some places where we're compromising because it's easier? It's always going to be easier to compromise. And if that's you, throw your hand up. You may already have your hand up, but put a hand up there. And if you're also one that's saying, you know what? I feel like I've been out of balance in my worship. And I want to worship in spirit and truth. Throw your hand up. If you have your hand raised, I'm going to ask you to just put both of them up. This is just a place of surrender to the Lord. Just a place of surrender. Lord, you see these hands this morning. You see and you know every heart here this morning. And Lord, as we reach out to you, as we surrender, as we put our hands up to you, I know that you're reaching down to us and you're pulling us close to you. Lord, you hear the cry of our heart. Lord, we want to be people of love and faith and service and patience because we know that pleases you because you commended the church at Thyatira for these things. This pleases you, and we want to be people that please you. Lord, we don't want to be people of compromise. We don't want to be people of compromise. It's it's easy to compromise. We don't want to be those people. But Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, we want to engage with you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you have come into this earth to to show us the goodness of our God. Holy Spirit, come. Come, minister to us. Show us Jesus. Show us Jesus. Show us Jesus. And make the word alive to us. So we are truly worshiping you. Let our life be worshiped. In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth, Lord. For us personally, for our families. Lord, right now I pray over every family that is represented here this morning. Lord, and we stand against the spirit of division in families. Lord, we stand against the attack on marriage, on husbands and wives. We stand against it in Jesus' name. Lord, as they surrender themselves to you, I thank you that the benefit is your presence in our lives, in our marriages, wherever we go. There you are. Lord, we receive you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Do you receive that? Do you receive that? 
Yeah. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come down. Come on down, guys. It never fails that there is somebody that is dealing with something that has absolutely nothing to do with what the, the pastor preaches about. We can't hit everything in one, one message. But whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, it matters to God. It matters to God. And Jesus said that the power in agreement, agreement prayer, it's powerful. Where any two agree, touching any subject, touching any subject, it's done of their Father which is in heaven. If you're dealing with something, I really want to throw that. If you're dealing with rejection, if you're dealing with not knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, if you struggle to see yourself as a son or a daughter of God, let someone pray for you, pray with you. All right? But whatever situation... These are prayer warriors down here. Let them pray with you. All right? If you don't have a relationship with the Lord and, you, and, and you're wondering what all that's about, man, these guys can answer questions too. Okay? So, Father, we give you everything. You are so good. You are so good to us. So good to us. Lord, you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. So, Lord, we give it to you freely from our heart. Even in the midst of trouble, Lord, you're good. You're good, so we worship you. Lord, I pray that you would take the words that were spoken this morning and everything that came from the Spirit of God, plant it deep in our hearts so you can get a harvest. Lord, be with us as we go. Open up opportunities for us to love people this week for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being faithful with your tithes and your offerings. You are dismissed. We love you guys so much.